it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 638 for May 16th, 2020. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts, back with Programming by Stealth, 96 of X. Howdy doody, Bart. Hello, hello, hello. Do you think the audience is going to get tired of me telling you how much fun I'm having programming? Well, I'm not. So do <laughs> to carry on <laughs> i am having so much fun programming oh my gosh i love the clock assignment i have gone absolutely bananas with it i uh i've gone way beyond what the assignment asked us to do because i've been enjoying it so much well that's 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 a good problem to have yeah and with the exception of one teeny teeny tiny little thing that i had to ask dorothy for help on uh i've done it all by myself i have not uh been been handheld in any way shape or form and that makes me even more excited not that I don't still need you and love you, Dorothy. <laughs> I don't I, it makes up. me very happy that you are able to, you know, scratch your own itch like this and do cool stuff. Yay. We should probably stick in. We should. So this is a solution episode. So way back in installment 92, we set the challenge of a world clock. And there were four requirements to get full marks. Um, the time, so you must be able to control, so basically a clock showing the current time in an arbitrary time zone, and, uh, it must have four controllable things by the user of this world clock. The time zone needs to be configurable. Whether or not the clock shows 12 or 24 hour format should be configurable. Uh, whether or not the clock shows seconds and whether or not the clock shows pulsing dividers between the different parts of the time. So there are the four things that need to be configurable, controllable, etc. through your basic UI. And right. I did also give the hint that um, you could do the time zone math yourself, or maybe you might want to use moment.js. <laughs> One road is the road to insanity. Yes, as the video that was shared in the Nocilla Castaways Slack. So yeah, I'll be talking proved. about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Now, we are experimenting a bit here because, um, well, it's basically given the current state of affairs, I guess this is an evergreen show, but basically just for context for people listening back five years from now or whatever, um, I work in education, we're in the middle of this corona thing, and we just had to deliver remote exams for the first time ever. So I've been really busy this week. So Alison has very kindly relieved me of half the show note duty. Um <laughs> So you're not getting one solution, you're getting two. You're getting Allison's and mine, and they are really quite different, which is extra fun. And Alison went first, and so anything Alison was covered in her discussion, I'm going to not focus on in my discussion. So uh, hopefully that should give a very broad view of things to uh, to everyone listening. Yay. So um, like I said, I really enjoyed this and I have taken it much farther than this. And we debated back and forth about whether to show my new cool thing. My new cool thing is functionally really, really cool and looks, uh, as Bart would call it, like a dog's dinner. Right? <laughs> the, the UI and that's more of a Don thing. I hear that in Don's voice. Oh, is it? Is, yours is a dog's breakfast? I would have. Yeah, that, if I was poop? being polite, I'd say a dog's breakfast. Yeah, well, dog's dinner, <laughs> dog's breakfast. Yeah. I think my vocabulary is a little flowerier. 
Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, it's not something I'm I'm proud of showing off from a UI perspective. So we'll we'll come back to that. Um, okay. But one of the things I really liked about this was I remembered that we technically had learned how to make a clock in programming myself many, many, many lessons ago. And in fact, mm-hmm. the clock that is up at podfeet.com slash live for the live no silicast show that shows you what time it is at my house so you can tell whether or not to go there. That was created by Bart in programming by stealth. So I knew that that all that stuff was there. And I thought, well, I could go back and copy it. But I thought, you know what? I've learned a whole bunch of stuff since then. And the point of this to me was to try and learn to stand on my own two feet. So I decided not to go back and look at it at all. Well, so I, good, because like, yeah, I mean, you suggested we start doing challenges. That was your idea. And the point was to help consolidate knowledge. So copying and pasting from months and months and months ago doesn't quite seem in keeping with the spirit yeah. of the challenges. Yeah. So um, I thought it would be more fun. So a couple of high points I wanted to hit on this, and I'm not going to go through every detail of what I did, Mm -hmm. but the first thing I did was I was starting, I started with a blank piece of paper and I wanted to write cleaner code. As we mentioned last time, I've really enjoyed looking at the elegance of the the code that Bart writes. And Bart has described that his code sometimes grows like a Weasley house, just, you know, branching off all over the place and looks like a mess and he has to go back and clean it up. So I thought maybe I would start with something cleaner. And oddly, one of the things that really appealed to me in the way you did it was I started using all capital letters for a certain type of variable name. And I don't know why, but that really makes it easier to read and easier to see what I'm doing. Is that why you do it? I do it because it's one of those um, conventions that um, basically, if you make a global variable, you should all capitalize it. So like we talked about last time, the class name should be camel case with a leading capital. Global variables should be all uppercase. It's just one of those programming conventions. It's it's not a rule. It's It's a guideline. So if a is if a variable is in a class, then you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's not a global variable. You wouldn't make it all caps. Uh, yes, yes, that is that is very, very, very much a true statement. That is the opposite of a global variable. So I would never. So no, um, mine. <laughs> okay. Well, you well, have your I own re- convention. If you're I consistent really like within letters. yourself, right? Okay. Um, but I I do make the argument that as you start to share code with other people it's generally a good idea to adopt a standard style. And every, actually, this is what, may I go on a very short tangent? Sure. Because we're about to start meeting this, right? Um, We're about to shift languages to PHP. And every language has its own community. it's, It's very much like podcasts. Podcasts build up their own community. And every community has their own way of doing things, their own traditions and their own conventions. And one of the things that goes along with that in programming world is that every language has its own standard style, its own house style. Like we have house rules for Monopoly. (laughs) Every language has its own house style. And so when we move to PHP, what you're going to notice is my code is going to suddenly look different. Not because it's PHP, but because I will be using the PHP house style for variable names when we move to PHP. Because I hugely believe in... When in Rome, do as the Romans. So when I write Java, I obey the Java style religiously. When I write Perl, I obey the Perl style religiously. And when I write JavaScript, I obey the JavaScript style religiously. And since we're off to PHP, I will do the same there. Okay. Um, I guess, how do you remember which one you're supposed to be using? Like, oh, wait, do they do camel case here or dashes or whatever? It actually becomes quite natural because... 
you have to put your brain in a different gear anyway because the syntax is different. Okay. All right. So I actually find adopt changing house style helps me to not write JavaScript code in Java or PHP code in Perl, etc. Okay, so maybe as you start uh, with the PHP code, you can start teaching us up front the the, yes. the house rules. I absolutely will. I'll, I'll draw okay. attention to them as we go. As we okay, make cool. Things. Well, here I am using all capital letters. Actually, they were global variables when I started. But I sort of let so, slip that I've already done classes in mine now. Um, the solution <laughs> I'm talking about today doesn't have classes, but those variables that were all capitalized all moved inside of a class. So, so they should have shrunk. Yeah, they yeah. should have been downgraded. But I really like those capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the next thing in there in writing cleaner code is I started trying to do the documentation bit, and I'm mm -hmm. really bad at it. Uh, I don't really understand the syntax very well of the of the way to write the um, the documentation. The doc and I, and I think what I could really use is some sort of a viewer to see if I write it like this, what will it squirt out like, so that I know am I doing it right or not. I'm just kind of writing garbage there with some at signs, and I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. So somewhere back in the annals of PBS, we we do an example of a tool. I think we chose either. I don't. It's so long ago. I don't remember which of the two I chose. But there's ES Doc is a is a is a fork of the older one, JS Doc. And I don't know how long ago we did it, but either way, it's going to be a terminal command that you say either ES Doc or JS Doc. You point it at your file, and it will create a web page hmm. using the content of those comments. I think that's what and we're doing in the game of life. I, I believe that's when we were indeed doing it, whenever, however far ago back that is. I was is, yeah. really, really lost back then, just so you know. That was when I used to lay my head on the table during the lessons and just cry a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so you know that I was really afraid of doing classes? That was because of how badly it went that time. <laughs> Bart and I were talking earlier, Is I, I'm learning, I'm doing such a better programmer now than I was back then, and, and you responded with, that you've be you've become a better teacher over time. I think we're both learning, right? So you're you're yeah. hel you're helping me to teach better, and I'm hope I'm helping you to program better. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, we were talking about the simplicity of the examples versus when he first started. They were they were heavy with other things in them, and it was a little harder to see. But anyway, so I'm not good at programming or at doing the documentation, but I really plan on doing it. And I think all developers always say that, but I'm going to do it. I really I really mean it. Um, well, remember, it's a presence to future Allison. Oh, yeah. So don't do it because everyone tells you to. Do it because you're rewarding yourself. Well, the place you, you got me really committed to thinking about it was if you build a class, you can give that to somebody. And if yes. I don't document it, I can't give it to somebody. So that's I'm, I'm actually motivated yes. by helping somebody else. So if I think this is as cool as I think it is, it would be really nifty if I could make it a class. And yes, so actually, that would be indeed, yes. And you would then indeed want to, so you would use a tool like ESDoc, and you would use that to produce a folder of documentation that you would then put onto the GitHub project and tell GitHub, this folder over here is the web page. And then GitHub will do that magic thing where it serves it out as a web page instead of as code. Oh, very cool. Very cool.
Okay, so here I am with this blank slate. One of the things that I changed, uh, because Bart did it that way the last time, was he moved his JavaScript into a separate file from the HTML. And oh my gosh, mm-hmm. was that so much easier. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, something about scrolling up and down, up and down, and up and down, and switching yeah. languages up and down, up and down. That was, but when it's two documents side by side, it's easier. Um, the other thing, I, I use uh, Microsoft Visual Studio Code, and that allows me to have uh, two copies of the same file open at the same time. So when my JavaScript started getting long, I could still see it side by side and see the top and the bottom on two different pages, you know, scroll mm-hmm. one up, scroll one down, and I could keep track of what I was doing. So, But having it separate from the HTML was mentally way better for me. I really, really liked doing that. Oh, good. Um, so one of the things, I think I mentioned this obliquely a little bit, but since I have the microphone, I'm going to say it again. A few challenges back, I started adding a standardized nav bar at the top of every assignment. So in my mm-hmm. HTML, I have what I consider helpful uh, resources. So in the nav bar, which of course I learned in programming by stealth using Bootstrap, I put some PBS specific resources like links to the PBS index uh, and and the uh, the Bootstrap documentation, the jQuery API, and the Ajax API, just in case any of those come up. And then mm-hmm. I add in useful resources for the particular assignment we're working on. So this time, uh, the dropdown had the stuff I already mentioned, but then there were specific links to moment.js home, moment.js docs, and moment time zone docs. And with mm-hmm. all that stuff in the nav bar, I had it right there. I didn't have to start making 1,500 uh, you know, bookmarks. Yeah. That's so, an interesting idea, actually. Basically, an in-place bookmark for when yeah. you're working on your code. I like it. Yeah. All right. So starting with it, step one of the challenge, obviously, was to let the user control the time zone for the clock. And mm-hmm. um, like we were just talking about, no matter how you approach time zones, dealing with them is always a nightmare. And uh, of course, I went with moment.js because um, the fact that I'm speaking to you and not in a rubber room right now is is why, but uh, is because I used it. But I ended up writing a really extensive blog post entitled Time is Weird, and there's a link to it in the show notes, um, where I chronicled my adventures trying to figure out how to let people see the time in a time zone of their choosing. Now, that yeah. sounds fairly obvious, but... It, it wasn't how to find the time zone data. I was able to find that pretty easily and I could display, but how to display it simply and, and elegantly. Um, I was trying to make a small subset that you could choose from that would represent any time zone you actually needed. And I don't think that's actually possible to do. No. <laughs> no, because every government gets to do their own dumb thing. Now, a lot of them have chosen to, to, to sort of get in locked up with their neighbors, but... In theory, if the government in Dublin decided they wanted to be awkward, they could switch to summertime at a different time to the government in London. And someone on this call's government may have decided to do that a few years ago. <laughs> well, there's also, um, I found uh, an island that is in, it, it turns out there's actually a time zone that nobody uses. I think it's GMT, GMT minus two, I think it is. Um, Minus two, that would put that. you in the mid-Atlantic somewhere. Yeah, right. But there is an island in the, a little island country in the middle of that time zone, and if you and if you look at it, if you click on it in one of those time zone maps that shows you where they are, they're two. They're in GMT zero. They're just like, yeah, yeah we're just not doing that. That's too hard. <laughs> I, I had a globe in the house as a child, which had a slightly different color for every time zone strip. Mm-hmm. And there were a few islands where they would have to color the map with this weird dog leg. 
<laughs> yep, yep. This and is that must of... be that must be that that must be what we're talking about because it was in the Atlantic somewhere. I found an um, island that that should have uh, been in a certain place and it wasn't. And then I started digging into it and I ended up on the Wikipedia page and then I ended up looking at on, looking at on maps and zooming way in. And this is an island that was a um, an old fishing village. I'm sorry, not a fishing village, a whaling village. In other words, not mm-hmm. in business anymore. So there's nothing on this island but this this ghost of a town. And if you look on on Google or yeah, it's on Google Maps. If you zoom in far enough, it says that there's a McDonald's and a uh, Starbucks there. So somebody <laughs> has been messing with uh, with uh, uh, Google. I love it. Nobody's noticed yet, and I'm not telling them. Anyway, that there goes the road to madness. Basically, is dealing with it. There really does go the road to madness. You're absolutely right. Because didn't you didn't you also find the time zone that was at 45 minutes? I knew there were a few at half oh, yeah. an hour, but so, somewhere there's someone on 45. Yep, there's somebody on 45 minutes. I mean, it's just, it's just awful. So my solution is a 539 item drop down. I'm sorry. That's what my solution is. Now, uh, Bart mentioned our, our Slack, podfeed.com slash Slack. We have a PBS channel where people post all kinds of great stuff for, for uh, programming by stealth. And Michael Westbay uh, put up a beautiful clock solution where um, he's got a, a, you basically just drag around on a map and it'll tell you the, the time zone. You can choose your time zone just by poking it. But one of the things he also had was he had a little text box where you could search and then it would it would auto complete and and pick something that actually existed. So if you type in loss, it would find loss underscore Angeles. And I decided mm. I wanted to do that, but that's going to be rev two of my clock because I wandered off and went off and did something else. So for right now, you just really enjoy scrolling in mine, okay? I, I will say something, right? So you have a long list to scroll. But it's not the disaster it could be because you've decided to order the list by offset from UTC, which is actually a very interesting way to order it and probably makes more sense than anything else you could have done. Yeah. So when you're scrolling, you scroll like 28 times past GMT minus eight, and then you get to GMT minus seven. (laughs) You know, some of the time zones like GMT minus two, those are real short because there's nobody there. Well, I do notice there's a certain bias towards North America because you guys are in the high minuses, so you're quite easy took me a long time to find Dublin at zero. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, one of my efforts when I started descending into madness was I said, OK, I'm going to pick one city in each time zone that's in a like in different countries. So a lot of men to be in the U.S. because we're so we're wide and have a lot of stuff and everything. But I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to have some South American and Canadian. And I was trying to pick and, and I that's when I ended up looking at pictures of an island with a whaling village on it, trying to find things. Yeah. That didn't work. That didn't work at all. Okay, so now I've got this uh, uh, giant drop down of doom, and uh, it was time to work on uh, modifying the time format because actually creating the time wasn't that hard. But um, with this this time zone data, I needed to now choose a twelve or twenty four hour clock, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna um, declare some variables, and these were my all capital variables. I was so excited about a minute ago. Uh, where I put in the string for the time zone, uh, the the format of the time zone. So like time time twenty four w sec was the string h colon mm colon ss space a, and I I just created those as strings, and that way I was able to say on my um on my selectors I was able to say okay if they do this put this time twelve with sec or time twelve without sec. Makes sense. 
Yeah. And that, that was pretty cool. So the way I, I did the selectors is I created two checkboxes and I for formatted them with bootstrap to look like real pretty toggle switches because I thought that looked really swell. Um, so let's say the, the one between 12 and 24 hour clock. Um, it turns out if you have a checkbox, it only has one label. So I couldn't mm -hmm. put 12 on one side and 24 on the other. I could only put 24 on the right and nothing on the other. So even though visually it looks like a toggle, you know, but you expect there to be a label on the left, you don't get one. So what I did was I, I just put a plain old line of text to the left of the checkbox. Actually, the left was 24 and the right is 12. Um, but then that opened up a can of worms for a screen reader. How are they going to know that that glop of text was explaining the checkbox? Because you have a label for that ID, but that label for the ID is going to be just the one on the right. So I ended up putting a div with the class sr-only uh, for screen reader mm -hmm. only that had that name so that they would at least read it before they got to the checkbox. Yeah, and there's probably an aria describes or something you might be able to use to help. Probably. I'm sort of guessing yeah. here. But so then I, um, I, I've got a friend named Scott Howell. He's a friend of the podcast and a voiceover user, and he's great about testing stuff. He's super responsive. He comes in, he tells you what's wrong or what's right. And, and I had him test it for me and he said it worked great. Uh, and, but there's one thing we both noticed is the label on checkboxes gets read out twice. And if you use your, uh, hmm. the inspector in like in Safari or Firefox, if you use the inspector, you can actually find both instances that are being read out by the screen reader. And I, I found a bunch, I looked it up and I found people reporting about this kind of bug on checkboxes going like at least five years back, but it, it was always specific to a certain tool and people trying to fix it in there. In this case, it's probably something to do with the rendering because it under the hood, it starts off as a normal checkbox, but um, Bootstrap does some magic on it. And I have a funny feeling that magic may be at the root of this specific bug. Um, it might, and that, it might uh, be. And those toggle switches are new. They were only introduced in Bootstrap 4.4, hmm. which is the current Bootstrap. So they literally didn't exist in Bootstrap 4.3. Okay, well, maybe that'd be worth me reporting then. But it's that kind of yeah. specificity of the bug. Like, it must be really easy to cause this bug because it's been going on forever. I think anything that causes two labels will cause what you're describing. And I think causing two labels may be quite easy to do. Yeah, that's what I think. And so. I think checkboxes are prone to it because a plain checkbox is not interesting. Every website you come to wants nice checkboxes. That is like a universal, but they want right. the markup to be a normal checkbox, which means that there's shenanigans afoot. And when there's shenanigans afoot, <laughs> there are bugs afoot. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's easy to flip the bit that causes this one. Well, anyway, then yeah. I needed a couple of event handlers, and uh, one was to capture the user's desire for the clock format from my two checkboxes, and then I ne needed another one uh, to capture the selected time zone from my dropdown of doom, and uh, yeah. <laughs> trademark Donald Burr. Because I created the time format uh, variables up front, those, you know, time 12 sec, uh, with sec, um, I was able to render the time with a, like a line of code. I made a little function called render time and just shoved a little uh you know html yeah. in there and i was done it was it was really really easy yes and with thanks to the magic of moment.tz the time zone is so much easier yeah it's it's dot tz parentheses selected zone where selected zone was the chosen value from my drop down select um yeah when i get into my super secret 
explanation of the really cool thing that I've built that I'm not telling you about right now, that one thing, that selected zone, that was the bane of my existence. And uh, I'm not sure I even solved it legitimately yet, but I've got it working anyway. But uh, so all of this worked swimmingly. I was just fine until I got to section four. So I'm only, I think I only get 75% credit. And that was whether or not to show pulsing dividers between the parts of the time. So in order to execute that part of the assignment, I would have had to completely refactor how I created those formatted times. My little time strings had the colons in them. So I would have had to have stripped the colons out and make them a variable or something. And I started working on it and I was just like, okay, I know I could do this. I'm just not going to. (laughs) Fair, fair. Um, In that case, I'm going to draw your attention to how I did it. It's not in the show notes, but we we, will go off piste. Okay, Um, good. And yeah. So okay, the, so the, wait, one more thing before we oh, move yeah. on oh, to sorry, yours. Yes. Um, I have a request. So I have this double secret project that I've worked on that I keep alluding to here. And I need somebody with a UI design look and feel eye that I don't have to look at this and help me design it because it's really ugly. My father used to call something like this ugly as sin. And so if there's somebody who'd like to consult with me, not not programming it with me as much as making it less ugly and making it understandable what the functionality I've created is, because it's kind of an obtuse concept, and but it's really cool if we can get it across to people. So if anybody would uh, be willing to help me, uh, you know, check me out in the PBS Slack, uh, you can DM me in there and I would love to get some help. What you're looking for is a HCI expert, human computer interaction. Ah, okay. That was one of my favorite courses as an undergrad. It was an optional fourth year course in my degree. And I'm so happy I took that optional optional module because it taught me so much about making interfaces human friendly. Ah, okay. Yeah, mine isn't. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> C539 line uh, drop down. <laughs> I'll figure that part out on my own. I, I, Bart gave me an idea of where to, where to start fixing that. Okay, finally, after all that, let's, uh, let's hear about yours. Okay, so um, links in show notes to see it in action and also to uh, the source code, etc. So uh, mine does do all four things. Um, you sort of Teacher's remind me what I am literally the teacher. So if I <laughs> if I can't provide a solution, what it means is the problem was wrong, okay. and that's my fault too. So I lose. I always lose um, <laughs> if I don't manage to do a solution. Um, I. You were sort of reminding myself, I used to study really hard for th- for two out of three, two thirds of the course and just intentionally go into an exam, not answering a question. Really? Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I did all sorts of gameplay to, to get through my finals, but it confused the external examiner no end because he said every question you answered was perfect. You got near 100 percent and then you stopped. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's all I'd studied. <laughs> <laughs> He's okay, funny. well, fine, you do pass, but you're weird. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, do, do this much right and nothing yeah. on the other one instead of a half-baked job on the rest of them. Yeah, anyway, weird strategy, but there we go. So, yeah, you only, you only attempted three, but you did really, really, really well on the three you attempted, so 75%, there you go. Okay, good. Okay, so... Um, as you can see, I have a clock which I rendered using the uh, badge uh, feature in Bootstrap. Hmm. And I'll go into it more later, but I did spend this stupid amount of time finding a cool font. <laughs> Probably should have spent more time actually working on my solution, but hey. 
Um, and then in terms of the form for controlling said file, oh, I also wrapped the whole thing in a bootstrap card to hold it together. Yeah, hang on. Uh, so why, what's the badge do for you? Uh, that gives it the rounded corners and the big blue thing. And the huh. white tape. Okay. Bootstrap can make rounded corners. It can. I, yeah, I mean, I could have I could have made a div and given it BG prime, rounded borders, text dash white. Basically, I could have used about five bootstrap classes, but by just saying badge, I get it for free. What you just described was precisely what I did. I think I used light, not white. But other than that, it was exactly what I did. <laughs> but I don't have go. that cool font. Yeah, so I'll talk about the font later because I don't okay. want to. I don't want to divert from the important stuff with the the pretty making stuff. But I did. I did actually go hunting the font quite early in the process. Well, I was don't busy believe... finding a whaling village in the South Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I don't believe my clock actually told any time while I was fixated on the font. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I have the form. So the the bootstrap card contains a header, the clock, and the form for controlling the clock. And uh, I, because I love standards, I figured out that that way of representing time zones that we generally see, the the region forward slash city, is mm -hmm. from a, something called IANA, which are actually people involved with all sorts of cool internet standards. Um, and so the IANA time zone strings is what the O's are. So you can enter any IANA time zone string into my text box and it will work correctly. But as we'll discover later, the text box has some intelligence to it. So the text box will help you out. So I, by the and way, then, I started with the, that uh, IANA list, uh, but then I I found other lists that had it with the uh, you know the GMT offset, and I combined mm -hmm. the two, and I used all kinds of crazy search and replace stuff, and then I actually put it into Excel, and I did a uh, I did a text to columns so that I could separate them and move them around and put them in order. I used about eleven tools just to get that data set. So if it ever changes, I'm not doing it again. Well, your way actually reminds me of how Windows lists it, which is basically offset in the list of cities. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, I wanted them in order because otherwise you spend your whole time in America and America is actually more than one country. It is, yes. The the Americas are, in fact, there's two of them, North and, and that's, South. That's actually in my time zone. Is weird thing was I ended up with things like in Peru that were next to things in Canada when you were doing the listing and it just didn't, I don't know, it just didn't make as much sense that way to me. Well, if you think in terms of time zones, Peru and Canada are the same. Right. But it, it wasn't, but it makes more sense to have all the America stuff together, you know? Anyway. Well, you know, in terms of time zones, Johannesburg and Paris, I think, are in line as well, which also seems bizarre, but that they, they go up and down, not side to side. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and like you, I adore these new bootstrap toggle switches. So I also have bootstrap toggle switches for, uh, for They're all very my pretty. things. Oh, yes, and you did really the are. same thing I did. You used the same color for the background of your of your clock as the bootstrap toggle switches. I got very bored and I basically went with primary. <laughs> right. Bootstrap primary. I made everything match um, that color because I thought it looked good together. Uh -huh. So what do I want to draw attention to? I guess the first thing is big picture wise. How did I design my my code? So... I have the very basic markup, which is inside a badge. And then inside there, I have separate spans, which have IDs for the hours, the minutes, the seconds. Uh, I use classes for the flashy, uh, for the separators. And then I have another span for the AM, PM bit. And then all the stuff to do with seconds is wrapped in another span that also has an ID. So I can separately address the hours, the minutes, both flashy bits, both separators. 
everything to do with seconds and the AM PM bit is sort of the approach I took. So I decided to make, when I went to format my time, I didn't do it in one format string. I made a date and then formatted it repeatedly for what I wanted. So I made one date I called now. And then I said, give me the format HH, which gives me the hours, or the format MM, giving me the minutes of the format SS for seconds, the format A for the AM, PM, etc. So it had to, you had to ask for three different things each time, right? I, well, no. So I may, Okay, so you make a date and immediately ask for a format. So your date never gets saved, right? Your date is effectively an anonymous variable. Mm-hmm. I made my... So I said moment.tz pass in the time zone and saved that to a variable named now and then I could say now.format as often as I want right but when you I'm saying when you go to format it if I go and click the seconds you have to go look at the seconds but you have to look separately at the hours and yes that's yeah, exactly so that's what I said yeah when I said I have multiple formats that's what I meant so I format so I, I make my date once, and then I call format multiple times for each piece I want. Okay. It, it's a different approach. Yeah. I guess the reason I went that way is so that my separators would not be intertwined with my format. Which is exactly why I looked at it and went, oh, man, I'd have to do that all over again. So I didn't. Yes. Okay. Um, so I defined a bunch of variables in the global scope for for holding references to the J, to jQuery objects representing each of the pieces of my clock, so that in my code I could just simply use nice English names for the hours, the minutes, the seconds, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the document ready handler is where I go and actually do the jQuery assignment once to actually set those variables to a value. And then also in the document ready handler, I start my interval, and I chose to have my interval go every 500 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems odd, doesn't it? You would imagine you would go every second. Like God so intended. So why 500 milliseconds? <laughs> well, it's for the part of the homework you didn't do. So I decided to have one interval to act as a TikTok. So at the top of the second, we update the time and we show the separator. And at the bottom of the second, so half a second later, the only thing we do is, if needed, hide the separators. And so on a tick, we update the whole time. On a tock, we just update the, the separators. So tick, tock, tick, tock, and then you can get the pulsing separators. So wait a minute. How were... Uh, I'm kind of lost. So you've got the... Okay. The separators are on, off, on, off. They actually fade to, like half or something okay so that, that's the other thing so they fade to a an opacity of 0.25 so opacity works as zero meaning fully transparent and one meaning fully opaque so they're so always mine there go between one and 0.25 so they're always there you said you hide they're them. always there because the first mistake i made was i tried to use jquery's hide and show function and that has a really obnoxious effect because they get they go away, so the time actually moves left, right, left, right, uh-huh. left, right, left, right. That's horrific. It's like, oh my god, that's ugly. Okay, so that I didn't was take confused. Me long I thought, to I, that thought was I heard run. you say that you hid them, and I thought, well, well, that would look weird. Yeah, so I'm fading them to rather than hiding them. You're, yes, it's an important subtlety. Um, and I I played about a bit actually with how quickly or slowly to fade them, and I've ended up fading them at 450 milliseconds 
which means they only spend 10% of their time in a fixed state. So 5% off, 5% on, and 90% fading. And that gives that very gentle pulse. It's nice. It's, it's, it's a very pleasing pulse. I, I, again, spent far too much time tweaking the milliseconds when I probably <laughs> should have been making my solution work. But, you know, hey, it's all fun. Um, so they are... So if you look at the sample code, my loop is... I have one set interval, and just before I start the interval, I make a variable which I named tick, which I set to true. And the very last line, which has gotten cut off in the show notes... Oh, no, sorry, it hasn't. True. Tick becomes equal to not tick. So What's in other words, mean? the first time through the loop, tick is true, true. So we update the time and we turn on the separator. And then we set tick to false. Okay. So the second time through the loop, half a second later, tick is false. So we jump to the else clause, which oh. fades the separator back out. And then okay. we invert tick again. And then we come to the set the time. And then we invert tick again. And then we come to change the separator. So every time it goes through either the if or the else, if, else, if, else. So tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. One of the things I like about the effect is it looks like the seconds are coming on on the upbeat. If you look Which at it, I want, I want my... Yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? Why is that up? Why am I not seeing that as down? But I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> there is no up down, but can you feel it? That's true, actually, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Perception is weird. Yeah. The other thing I sort of want to focus on in what I want to talk about my solution is um, don't optimize the wrong thing. Hmm. So the TLDR version is simply don't be afraid to write code that uses a little more RAM and a little more CPU if it makes the code easier to understand, write and maintain. Really? That seems counterintuitive. That bother well, I mean, I understand it, but I would be thinking, oh, I can't waste anything. Right, but think about our modern hardware. Unless we're doing something really compute intensive, like encoding video or doing a Google search or something really performance heavy, our computers, no matter how no matter what you do, the chances are you are having an infinite Testimonially small effect on the amount of work the computer has to do. Un almost unmeasurable. Hmm. But our brain is no better than it was in 1947 <laughs> when the transistor was invented. <laughs> okay. So our computers have gotten really fast and we're still as human as we ever were. So you should optimize for the human, not the computer. We literally bought the computer to relieve us from slog. Well, make it earn its keep. <laughs> Let it relieve you from slog. Can I give you an so, example of, an, of a very odd side effect of that that I just learned about? Go on. I've been having trouble with my new MacBook Pro, the 16-inch mm -hmm. uh, 2019 MacBook Pro, that when Carbon Copy Cloner kicks off to do my backups, my processor cranks up to 4 gigahertz and over, or, you know, clocks itself up which causes the temperature of the CPU to go up, which causes the fans to go off. So I can tell when a backup is running because I hear the fans going off. So I, right. I wrote to Mike Bombick, the uh, the author of, of the app, and he told me something really interesting. He said that the problem is that the computers are so fast and so underloaded right now that 
unless you go to a great deal of work, your app will suck more and more CPU. So his, his app, he actually wrote a thing that says, please don't use all the CPU you can because you're just doing a backup for crying out loud. But it, but it left to its own devices. It's like, it just goes off and it's yeah. got so much power. It's like, well, I could use all of this to make this operation go really fast. Well, I don't care if it takes 10 minutes versus eight minutes, whatever, you know. It, and so he built, he said, it's actually very difficult to write code that doesn't run away and use as much as it can. Right, and uh, does it, to, to the point, there's actually a, a Unix feature called Nice, where you can tell your process to uh, own resources, which is called Renicing. So you can change your Nice level, hmm. um, which yeah. is probably what they're doing behind the scenes. Um, yeah, well, my my 2016 MacBook Pro with the identical setup does not do this. Right, because like I'm a- guessing the reason that backup software wouldn't have been able to run away with things in the past because there was a uh, a natural bottleneck. The speed of yeah. storage. Well, I asked him, he said, part of the problem is that you've got an SSD internally and an SSD externally. So there's nothing for nope. it to wait for. Ah. And because and, I asked him, I said, how come uh, Backblaze doesn't do this? It's doing a backup. He says, because the network slows it down. So it's got right. nothing to do. It can't can't fire up. So it's like, if you don't want your fans to go off, use a spinning hard drive. <laughs> it's just like so counterintuitive. But you don't really realize how fast these things are now. Exactly. So. You know, now I'm not saying write intentionally sloppy code. I am saying don't write code that's harder for you to maintain and manage to save a few CPU cycles because they're irrelevant. They're utterly irrelevant. Okay. So to put that into context, I made two decisions while writing my sample code, which made my code easier for me to write, design, and maintain, which technically speaking uses a small amount more resources. So the first thing I chose to do is that rather than use traditional variables to store the state of the clock's information, like whether or not to show the seconds, whether or not to uh, use 24 or 12-hour format, I have no variables for storing that information. Mm -hmm. I store it in the form because the form knows anyway. So I just read it from the form when I need it, which is slightly more CPU asking jQuery to tell me whether or not the checkbox is checked. Slightly more, but irrelevantly slightly more. Okay. So that saves me a bunch of variables and a bunch of event handlers. Because if you have a separate variable, you have to have an event handler every time the form element is clicked to update the variable. Whereas if you just read it from the form element every time, you don't need any event handlers. So my toggles have no event handlers. Oh, okay. So no, I didn't do that. So what do you... what? You're saying you're reading it from the form. Right. So I just say, so I have my variable saying, you know, I have a very, add the form. There's a variable called, I think it's $WC underscore 24H underscore CB for checkbox. So I just say, Mm -hmm. if dollar name of variable dot prop checked, do this, else do that. So I'm just reading the state of the checkbox. Okay. Now I think you're back to doing it the way I did it. Because that is what I say. But I have an event handler that has to go check to see if that thing has gotten checked. Right, because you're not storing it in a variable. They do not see variables sitting in your global in your global scope to store true or false. You have variables called time 12, or you, yeah. true seconds, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have one of those. So I don't need an event handler to update it. But you need an event handler. I don't. How do you know if the show seconds toggle switch has been hit? Well, every at, the, at every tick, I just go and check what's the state of the form. But how do you know the state of the form? I read it. 
if okay, so you can see part. in my sample code. Uh, if WC pulse underscore CB dot prop checked. I am reading straight from the checkbox. Is your property checked true? Hmm. That sounds again back to the way I did it. I'm really, uh, I, I'm not able to look at yours and mine at the same time. So I'm maybe not, uh, okay. not remembering every bit of it, but. I thought it was essentially something like that. But I have no... If you have event handlers, it's not the same. I have no event okay. handlers on either... on zero, zero out of three of my checkboxes need event handlers. So if someone checks the, the checkbox, which mm -hmm. is, looks like a toggle being, being flipped, then if you query the property of that, you know whether it's checked or not. That's what you're saying you're doing. Correct. Just when you need it. Yeah. So I just fetch it every time. Just go ask the checkbox. Are you checked or not checked now? So every second, I just ask, yeah, what, what say are you in now? And then I behave accordingly. So it seems to me all you saved was a variable. And an event handler. And the potential of a timing problem. And the event potential of a deadlock. Because events firing off asynchronously means things can happen in the wrong order. No events, nothing can happen out of order. Hmm. Right? Way simpler model, no timing issues. Interesting. Okay. And shorter code, way less code. Okay. Second thing. All right. Um, rather than reacting when someone clicks on the button, so you click the button and then I proactively go and hide or show the seconds or hide or, or make the things pulse or not, I redraw mm -hmm. my clock every second. I just, every second we start over as if there is no past. And so that means that I don't actually have to have any sort of event handlers firing. I just, every second, I just start over. I just recalculate everything. Dorothy's going to really like that you said that, because I remember having an extensive argument with her on the elliptical back when we were allowed to go to the gym, where I was, she said she was redrawing, uh, I think it was the currency cards every mm -hmm. time. And I was berating her that she was wasting all those poor CPU cycles. Yeah. We're going to be exhausted. And uh, I didn't like that. I don't know if I could get myself to do that. that, it that that's flies in the setting. face of an engineering mindset because you're used to optimizing to make it easier on the machine. And I'm telling you, make it easier on the human. Do optimize. So Use all it... of your engineering skills, but optimize for something else. How did uh, redrawing it every time make it easier for you? Well, because it means that the only thing that's doing all of the work is that one set interval. There is no event handler needed to change things as people click and toggle. Every tick, it just updates itself to whatever the current truth is. But that's a, the effect of not having the event handlers. Right, but that is, that is exactly, that is what I'm saying. That is what I chose to do. I chose to redraw every time, which saves me the need for event handlers and complicated code. At the price. Okay, so this is really one tip then, because they're, they're both related. About not re they're okay. related. Okay. I could have done one without the other. Um, but the, 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 they it are so. Like the I could have. I could me. have done one or the other, but I did both. Okay, I'm only picking up on one. It's, okay, well, you so don't have every every second, I say, show the separator, even if you're not pulsing. I still show the separator every time. 
Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. Okay, I'm ca- I'm caught up then. Yeah. Now, that sounds say. really inefficient, except for the fact that jQuery will very, 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 very quickly go, oh, you've asked me to do something that's already done and just stop. So it's actually less inefficient than you think, but it is definitely wasting like four CPU cycles out of the 10 million you have per second. Now, isn't it also going and looking for the time zone every time too? Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. That's another five or six out of your million. Huh. Right? I guess I would have thought the internet would slow you down at that point. But, but it's not, not the internet. There's nothing happening over the internet. This is entirely within the browser. There is no Ajax here. This is the browser. The, the JavaScript code is running inside the browser, so it's all local. And, and But mom, and moment.js is all local. All local, yeah. And zones. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's all local. It's just your computer. So a gigahertz is, what, million million or something? Like, giga's a lot. Okay, I thought it was going out to the internet to find that. Once, right? When you load the page, it fetches that JavaScript from the CDN, and then it is in the browser running. Okay, okay. Hmm. Yeah, so, gotcha. I mean, it's... it's that's, that's yeah counterintuitive. I don't, I don't know if I can cotton to that kind of waste. but I right, Okay, but put it into context. We're talking that I may have at most, at most, wasted 100 cycles out of... A few million at your disposal per second. Million per se- millions per second. Gigahertz. And I've wasted like a few hertz. Those, those l- poor little hertz. Like, they, you couldn't see it on a CPU graph. <laughs> you couldn't measure it. It is so in... Okay. And the, the, it basically takes out about it. 50 lines of code. Huh. And okay. makes debugging and testing so much easier. No events to worry about. It's just every 500 milliseconds, it just does the work to figure out what the clock should look like and make it look like that. So okay. twice a second, it just redraws the clock from scratch. I believe you. Yeah. So don't optimize the wrong thing. We humans need help. The computer is fine. Hmm. Okay. So then the next thing I tackled was the perennial problem. I hadn't realized when I set the challenge this was such a big deal, but you and I both ran headlong into it. It's really hard to ask users to choose a time zone in a human-friendly way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not easy, because my first reaction was, oh, I'll just pick some time zones. And then I very quickly (laughs) ended up in the world of insanity you were in. Oh, that's not actually that easy to do. So then I went Googling to see if someone else had done the hard work and picked you know, a a collection of sensible time zones to suggest to people. I found lots of people asking. <laughs> didn't find anyone offering help. Nope. So I went, okay, fine. I guess we're back to using moment.tz.names. That function will return every single IANA time zone and a few more. So I decided, fine, I'll use those, but I will filter them. So there are duplicates in there because the IANA time zones are region slash city, so Europe slash Dublin. But there are duplicates in there because there's another time zone that's that, that actually goes deeper than the than the region and goes into country. So there is America slash Los Angeles, but there is also US slash California slash Los Angeles. And so mm-hmm. I basically went that there's more than one slash ignore. And then there's also this weird 12 generic time zones, uh, ETC, UTC plus zero, ETC, UTC plus one, et cetera. And I, I don't want those. So I, I 
ignored those. I took those well. out too. Yeah, it it just felt better to hard code, even with five hundred thirty nine when I was done. Just a few less yeah, is still ETC better. Yeah, slash GMT plus four. I figured, what if somebody's going to look at that? They're going to be annoyed. Yeah, so I did, I took it. Yeah, so I filtered those. So I filtered out the ones that were down to the sub country level, and I filtered out the ETC ones. But that's still left alone. What about the ones that say CET? I never CET and HST. I don't know what those are. CET is Central European Time, so they are the equivalent of your in. PST. Oh, okay. But they just I I went ahead and left that one. Yeah. I, I didn't filter those, so I guess they're in mine. Oh, actually, no, I probably did filter them because I think I'm saying unless you have exactly one slash, I don't want to know about you. Mm. I think that's what my code does. I'll check my code. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So even with the filtered list, it was a little bit too much. So I decided to go for the same solution that our, our listener in the Nusilla Castaways Slack went with, which is an auto-completing text box. So you can type anything you like, you can copy and paste anything you like, uh, but I will search for you from the list of acceptable and then I will give them to you in a little drop down that you can choose from and it will fill it out for you nicely. And I could have done that myself. I could have written the search code. I could have written the jQuery to make those options come and go. I could have, and it would have been hundreds of lines of code and it would have been an entire assignment all by itself. I didn't do that. (laughs) I went to the Googles and I searched for, I think the search term was bootstrap text box autocomplete, I think is what I searched for. And what I found was a jQuery plugin called bootstrap for autocomplete. And since bootstrap uses jQuery, that's already a natural, every bootstrap plugin is a jQuery plugin. So the fact that this is jQuery is not a problem. Uh, And that basically gave me, with very little work, autocomplete. The other thing I really wanted was a sensible default, right? If you're going to have a text box, it can't be empty. Mm-hmm. And so I could be very opinionated and insist everyone get Dublin slash or Europe slash Dublin as their default, which is what I would have done if I hadn't come up with something better. Uh, but it occurred to me that the browser probably knows because when I go to a website that supports internationalization, I see the English language version of Wikipedia, but if I'm in Belgium, I see the Dutch language version and the French language version. So how does it know? There's mm-hmm. got to be some sort of API in the browser that's telling websites what the the locale is. So I did a little bit of Googling, and I Wait, soon found I a wonderful answer on Stack Overflow that told me that uh, the JavaScript class that handles all of this is called Intel, which I guess is short for internationalization. And there's an intel.datetimeformat.resolvedoptions.timezone. And that is the IANA time zone that the browser thinks it is in. So when I run that... Can I ask you a question? You can. Why didn't you just use the one that's built into moment? Dot guess. It's already in there. Ah. Well, if I'd found that in the docs before I found that other answer in Stack Overflow, I would have done that. (laughs) That's the way I did it. That's a great function. Because it's, it's usually right. That's probably what it's doing under the hood. Is it's probably asking the browser what it thinks. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Yeah, I was a little worried that that wouldn't work with all the stuff that uh, you know Apple's doing to not track you in in, in Safari, but it, it seems to work. Right. So Apple is trying to avoid having people's browsers be very individualistic, but having everyone in in Ireland say they're in Ireland isn't a danger of tracking me, right? The, yeah, the, I guess the, so. 
there's no entropy there. There's no... The kind of stuff they're getting rid of is like the exact pixel width of windows because that's different for everyone as I'm resizing my windows. They're trying to get right, rid of the right. exact list of fonts I have installed because I'll have different fonts to you. Anyway, that's the uh, browser finger. I, I am. I'm just super glad to know that there's a Bootstrap plugin for the for the search because I. That's why I kept looking at it, going, "Boy, I want to do what Mike did, but I wonder how he did that." And I just kept going back to him, going, what, "How? How would I start? Oh, jeez, I'm not doing that." <laughs> so now I know it's easier to get to. I'll I'll uh, I'll make that happen. Yeah. So link in the show notes to Bootstrap for autocomplete, and I actually found a whole bunch of other ones, but that one just it did Bootstrap for. And it did what I wanted, so I went with that. So yeah. all I then had to do was actually four simple things. So the first thing is really obvious. Include the plugin by putting a script tag with the link to a CDN. So JS delivers where they happen to host their stuff. Uh, so then the code is included. Great. Then I obviously needed to create a text box. So this is just standard bootstrap, right? Nothing fancy here. Mm -hmm. Form group, a label, an input type equals text. Uh, and then some help text underneath using the class form-text, text-muted, where I just say enter an IANA uh, time string. Uh, so that, okay, so that's easy. Then the third thing is the plugin needs a source of acceptable completions, right? It's an autocomplete, so you got to tell it what to complete to. And this is where the plugin gets a little weird. It tells you in the documentation that it, the data structure it wants is a dictionary in the form label colon one comma label colon two so basically the keys are the values that are acceptable and the values is a sequence of increasing numbers i'm going to correct you real quickly because the way you said it was wrong it's label one colon one label two colon two right yeah it's basically the thing you want in the drop down yeah. colon one another thing you want in the drop down oh. colon two right yeah so after, I mean, I should show you the 14 files I created trying to get my nice clean data set for the JSON dictionary. I'm going to have to make another one. If you want to use this dropdown, you will, but it's, it's, it's not a difficult one to make. Wait, dropdown or, or search box, you mean? Well, okay, so this implements autocomplete as a dropdown. Huh. As you're typing, what you see is a Bootstrap 4 dropdown that is having stuff added and removed. Okay. So that oh, autocomplete okay. as you're typing, get, that okay. is a drop down. Okay. You didn't, I, I don't write that drop down. 539. Okay. Right? It's a drop down <sighs> written by the, created by the plugin, not by me, but it is a drop down. I'm really looking forward to changing that again. <laughs> I was just looking back through mine and looking at how many of them are. They're, they're, they have names like zones working but annoying dot JSON. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Zones no quotes on keys.json. Jones turned zones we, turned out wrong.json. <laughs> but you don't have you don't have to save them to an external JSON file. You can just build them straight from moment.tz.names. Because this is such a simple data structure. Uh, so what I actually have next in the show notes is my entire and total code for building that data structure. Right? So const tz autocomplete source becomes equal to an empty dictionary. I then create a counter called tz autocomplete counter equals one. So I set it to one. For const tz name of moment.tz.names. In other words, loop through all of the names from moment.tz. I then say break the time zone into parts. Const tz parts becomes equal to tz name.split on the forward slash character. 
then I say, if the length is not equal to two, continue. In other words, skip everything that is not two parts. Ah, that's why I don't have PST. Uh, so I am indeed saying if it's not exactly two parts, run away. Then I say, skip the artificial ETC region. So if TZ parts zero is exactly equal to ETC, continue. Hmm. Uh, and then if we get by those two if statements, then we simply store into our dictionary. So the key is the time zone name and the value is the counter. So TZ autocomplete source open square bracket TZ name becomes equal to TZ autocomplete counter. And then we increment the counter. So is that another example of, um, is it being recreated all the time? Nope. That, that, that code is in the document ready handler and happens once to initialize okay. that um, plugin. Okay. So we've created the, the data structure here. And then the fourth and final piece of the puzzle is to actually enable that jQuery plugin on my text box. And you do that by saying, you know, using the, so $WT time zone text box dot autocomplete. And then you pass it a dictionary of options. And the, the three options I passed were source, which is basically the data structure. So TZ autocomplete source. Me maximum items is 10. So how many are allowed in the dropdown at once? So as you're typing, is it allowed to show 100 or only? The default, I think, is three, which is too little. So I gave it 10. So it will never be more mm. than 10 deep, because otherwise on a mobile device, that becomes really annoying. Um, Actually, not as bad as you would think, because it gives you that real nice scroller at the bottom where it's just, it's it's almost like you're on a circular roller. It doesn't actually go down. It it stays in the thing you're on stays in place, and the stuff scrolls past you. Yeah, I still think ten is a, is a reasonable default. But what if? How does it decide typing. which ones? How does it decide which ones not to show? The one okay, so the best matches for your typing are what come up alphabetically sorted. And if there's more than ten, well, then they won't come up until you type a few. Until, as you would say, hum a few more bars. Okay. So as you're okay. typing, the list gets shorter, right? So, you know, okay. DU has lots of options, but by the time you get to DUB, you're down to two. Dubai and right. Dublin. Okay. We get there pretty quick. I would, I'm going to make mine 500, 439 <laughs> is the maximum, and that <laughs> keep getting rewarded for put, typing in more letters. <laughs> Fair enough. And then threshold one is the minimum number of characters the user has to type before it starts searching. Hmm, okay. And the default for that was four, I think, which is ridiculous because the you, you know, DUB should be enough, but it didn't even start searching. So, yeah. So at that point, I have a working autocomplete. Uh, but uh, I now have a problem that my trick of not storing anything in any variables has run into a brick wall. Because what if someone's halfway through typing when the tick happens in my interval? It reads from the text box and it says dub. Well, I now have so a broken fail. clock, don't I? Uh -huh. So I was forced to make one variable after all, which is fine. You know, I, didn't I, I, I instead of four, I have one. So I have a variable where I store the last valid time zone. And until you give me another valid time zone, I do not update that variable. So that means I need an event handler after all. 
just the one, but yeah. I do need an event uh-huh. handler. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You're optimizing, but optimizing doesn't mean do- not doing. It means doing as little as possible. So right. I now have to add an input listener to my text box. So WC time zone TB dot on input. And so the first thing I do in my event handler is validate the current value of that checkbox is what or that text is what's in that text box of valid time zone and the documentation for moment.tz.zone says that if you give it a value it will either return null if it's not a time zone or a dictionary representing the time zone if it is a time zone so i basically say tz object becomes equal to moment.tz.zone and then whatever the current value of the text box is if tz object in other words if it's not null update my variable and change the validation because I wanted the nice fancy bootstrap validation. So update the validation to show the red X or the green happy tick box. Else it's invalid. So just set the class to be invalid so that we get the red X until you're done typing. Okay. And that worked really well if you typed. But selecting something from a dropdown isn't typing. So the autocomplete wasn't working. So I went back to hmm. the documentation and read that, oh, I'm supposed to give an event handler when I'm creating the um when I'm creating the autocomplete. So I had to rewrite my autocomplete to take one extra option. So as well as the source and the maximum items and the threshold, I also needed to have an unselect item event handler in there. And I decided to be really lazy and instead of writing a new event handler, my unselect item event handler triggers my input event handler. <laughs> which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do, right? Right. So right. if you select something, it's as if you typed it. Perfect. Hey, presto, one working clock. So now one very last thing to mention is my Google, my font that I spent far too long <laughs> on. This is my excuse to tell you about an amazing free resource from those lovely people over at Google. Fonts.google.com. It is a list of free-to-use web fonts ready-made for including in web pages. And when you choose a font, they will give you the CSS code to stick it into your page that you can copy and paste. So when I was done dithering about which font to pick, the total sum of CSS I needed in my entire file was in a style tag up in the head at import and then the URL to the font, and that basically was a copy and paste job. And mm-hmm. then pound sign WC underscore clock, because I gave my clock the ID WC underscore clock. Font colon family, share tech mono, which is the name of the font, or monospace, which is what will happen if the Google font fails to load. Nice. I have so. to tell you, every time I see WC, I'm thinking water closet, but. Other than that, I like this. It's world clock. Yeah. (laughs) I figured that out. (laughs) So that's everything I plan to say about my solution. That's just something you would like to draw me out on. No, no, that's fun. I have used the Google fonts before. In fact, Roboto is one I Mm. use in in a lot of documentation. I just like the way it looks. It makes me happy. As far as I'm aware, the only thing I like about Android is the Roboto font. It is a lovely fixed width font. Yep. It has problems oddly in Apple Mail. If you Apple Mail of all places. 
Okay. Yeah, it's the most bizarre thing. You can set your font to Roboto, but if you italicize a word in Roboto with Command I, and then the next word you want to undo, you, you know, you want to go out of being italics, you hit Command I, it doesn't. Huh. It's only in Roboto, and I've written to them a stern, uh, to Apple, a stern email about this problem. <laughs> and Roboto does support italics, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It italicizes. It just won't unitalics. You got to go up huh. and go, you know, show fonts and click a button like an animal. I wonder oh. if it's a boogie font or a boogie mail app. It really yeah. could be either. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. So the, we have solved one challenge. We must set another. And I promise you, this was my intended challenge all along, even though you, <laughs> you it now looks like I'm copying off your super cool, fancy thing you won't share with the listeners yet. But this well, actually this, was my this plan is why I t- a month ago. You t- and this is why I showed it to you two days ago, was I was afraid you might do this. Yeah, so this has been my goal for the last, basically a month ago when I came up with this clock idea, this is actually where I wanted to get to. So your challenge for about six weeks from now, I think there's going to be two in between episodes, is to build a web app to solve a problem, right? So... We're now getting to the stage where I'm not telling you how to solve the problem because you're now a developer. I just have a problem I want solved and you, the developer, must design and implement the solution. So there exist two podcasters who happen to live in different parts of the world and they need to communicate a show recording time without the need to do mental arithmetic because one or both of them are terrible at that. Entirely hypothetical situation. I need you to write me a web app that we can use to share a specific time across time zones and the time being communicated should be embedded in the URL somehow so the recipient doesn't have to type it in. So I should be able to send you a URL and that URL should do everything. The UI is entirely up to you, but I will hum you three bars as you like. Okay, but before you do that, I'm trying to picture. So if I want you to meet me um, at two o'clock on Saturday for my time, Mm -hmm. when I send it to you, since you're eight hours away, when I send you this URL, if you click it, it's going to show you a clock that says 10 p.m. Because you're eight hours from me. At the very least, yes. Maybe it should show the, the original time proposed was, you know, this time, your time zone, which is... This time, your time, you know, this time, my time zone for me or something. I mean, it can be a little more than just, it can, it can show the translation, but either way, it should be automatic. I should basically go to this page and see when I need to be at my mic. Okay. So unlike today, when Bart said, hey, can we meet at 1030? I thought, oh, crap, we weren't, we were meeting at two. Well, I could do 1030. Okay. And I almost told you yes. Because you didn't say who's 1030. Right. Yeah. That, in hindsight, that was a terrible idea on my part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I should just be able to send you a link and that link should make it utterly instantaneously obvious what I'm talking about. Okay. So this isn't exactly what I did, but it's, it's, got, some, it's got some smell around it of it. I, so, okay. What you did could very easily be adapted into this. Mm-hmm. So I am going to give you three hints to guide you because that's a very, very, very generic thing to say. So the first thing is to remind you that query parameters can be used to embed data in URLs, right? At the end of a URL, you can have question mark and then a bunch of name name equals value, comma, name equals value, comma, name equals value. You probably don't need more than one. 
So they're called query parameters, and they can be stuck onto the end of a URL. So that's how you can stick data into a URL very easily. JavaScript also has the ability to ask the browser, Dear Mr. Browser, what is the current URL that I am at? Mm. So if we can stick data in a URL and JavaScript can ask the browser for the current URL, then JavaScript has a way of accessing the data in theory. Uh, and the structure of a URL is well-defined. So in theory, you could parse it yourself with some regular expression magic. But that is potentially the road to insanity. Not, not as straight a road as time zones. <laughs> But a road nonetheless, so it may not surprise you to learn that someone else has already paved that road, and there exist quite a few different APIs for parsing URLs, which is what you're doing, right? Breaking the URL into its components so that you can pull them out easily. I really, really like one called URI.js. I'm not saying you have to use URI.js, but I will be. Okay. This sounds like there's going to be a lot of learning. There I are, a lot well, when, yeah, when so we there's do these. Two, just two pieces of thing you definitely have to learn, right? So I haven't told you how the J JavaScript asked the browser for the current URL, but I am telling you it's possible, so you don't have to Google that. Yeah. And you can, I'm not telling you how to use URI.js or even to use it. There are other alternatives, so you've got a bit of Googling to do to figure out, will you take my hint? Is there a better solution? Will you just go down the, the regular expression rabbit hole? Your mm -hmm. choice. No road to madness. Yeah. I wouldn't go down well, the this... rabbit hole, but that's, you know, your choice. <laughs> so the only problem I have with all of this is that I'm not getting anything done in the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I think most of life is on pause. <laughs> well, yeah, but my life didn't actually change much because I was already at home and I never go out and do anything anyway. I mean, I stopped going to the gym <laughs> with Dorothy and that's about it. We meet on Skype now. Oh, so you used to be getting good exercise while you were yakking about programming, and now you're sipping a martini while yakking about programming, or G&T. Exactly, exactly the problem. <laughs> one is healthy. Oh, this was really, this was really fun. Thanks for letting me uh, take the take the reins a little bit, uh, but uh, hopefully I will be able to show off my uh, my double secret project soon. I hope so too, because I'm looking forward to to you getting to share it. That would be fun. Yeah. He tried to get me to share it this time, but it's too ugly. <laughs> well, my suggestion was to show it as it is to the community and ask them to 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 pitch in because I it's think our community is really ugly. But yeah, <laughs> yeah they I'll show I'll show it to like one or two people, but not not broadly. So the Slack you feel more comfortable with is what you're saying. Yeah, with specific people who have shown uh, uh, that they're they're willing. Mike Price and Michael Michael West Bay have both been been really gentle with me, so I'll share it to them. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. It, like showing people your code is a bit like burying your soul. Cause, oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Like, Especially yeah. when you're insecure about your newfound talent, you know. Wait, it, it, it's like showing someone a drawing when you're still learning to draw. It's or you know your first pottery when you got your first potter's wheel and it's a bit wonky, but you love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, Bart. Excellent. Well, as I say, next time we're going to, we have two more installments to finish up our look at object-oriented programming so you can become a classes super expert before we're ready for PHP. Uh, and then after that, we will come back to the sample solution here. So that should be six weeks from now. So uh, 
think we're all set. And until next time, I shall wish you happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.